Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It really is Friday, and we really couldn't be happier about that. Glad you're with us for the Three Martini Lunch as we wrap up the work week. We actually have a good martini today, believe it or not, as well as uh, either a bad and a crazy or two really bad ones. And we're brought to you today by Ladder Insurance. So, Jim, let's start with the good news that, of course, has nothing to do with the riots on Capitol Hill. Earlier this week, it has to deal with uh, vaccine news. This is from CBS News. New research suggests that Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine can protect against a mutation found in two highly contagious variants of the coronavirus that erupted in Britain and South Africa. Those variants are causing global concern. They share a common mutation called N501Y, a slight alteration on one spot of the spike protein that coats the virus. That change is believed to be the reason they can spread so easily, but uh, they've done a lot of research on this now using blood samples from 20 people who received the vaccine made by Pfizer and BioNTech, uh, and it looks like the antibodies from those vaccine recipients successfully fended off the virus in lab tests. So uh, that is a huge sigh of relief. We talked before about how this is more contagious, but uh, certainly no more virulent, maybe even less virulent. But uh, the fact that the vaccine still appears to be effective is great news, and hopefully that's true of the other vaccines as well. Yeah, and in a week where we could use some good news, this really stands out. Uh, I wrote about this on Tuesday when it was less clear. These results hadn't come in yet, uh, and there was genuine reason to be worried. You know, viruses mutate, and the vast majority of those mutations are uh, not really significant from the perspective of a human being. They don't really change the virulence level of the virus. They don't... um, change the ability to resist antibodies. Uh, And as you said, the the two mutations we have seen, one mostly found in the UK, the other one mostly found in South Africa, both make it more contagious. Uh, And there was a kind of a trait about how this South African variant worked that made them a little nervous to say, is this going to work against, are the vaccines going to work against this or not? And one of the things that kind of stands out to me, you know, Every time somebody gets the virus, you know, it gets into their body and viruses are always kind of, you know, multiplying. And each time they multiply, there's a possibility for a mutation. And yeah, most of these mutations are going to be very mild. Um, but when you look back on the story of the influenza virus and the, you know, as we call it the 1918 virus, it really was going on, you know, 1918, 1919, even a little bit of 1920. And it came in three waves and the waves were different strains and those strain, you know, some of those strains were the second one was by far the worst. The fear is that it's so, and each time this is happening, the more viruses in more people, the more opportunities it has to create a change that's really, really bad. And one of the things that's really fascinating in John Barry's article or a book about the influenza virus is that one of the reasons the third wave wasn't quite as bad as the second wave is just imagine the second wave virus being about as bad as it could be, right? Now, mutation is random. It has changed. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's just survival of the fittest. But his, it comes as kind of this interesting theory that the second wave was just about as bad as it possibly could be so that any new change, any mutation was actually going to make it slightly less dangerous, slightly less contagious, less virulent and all that. Um, we don't, you know, the, the, the more people who get this, the more we have to worry about 
the possibility of it making some sort of dramatic change and either no longer being effective against vaccines or God forbid more virulent or, or, or something like this. So uh, good news from South Africa. I'd like to see a little more testing just to prove this hasn't been peer reviewed and stuff like that. But so far it looks like we dodged a bullet and uh, now it's just a matter of getting those vaccines rolled out. And Boy, it's just good to know that's all going rapidly and smoothly all across the country. Right, Greg? Oh, it's a total mess in a lot of places, as I know is, that's what you meant. And there was just a New York Times story even. New York Times, Jim, about how uh, uh, dispensers of the vaccine in New York have had to throw some of it away because they have to hold to the strict list of who's allowed to have it at certain times instead of giving it to who's available. So great job, everybody. Great job. All right. But as we have learned this year in terms of the coronavirus and many different things, a lot of other people are, uh, you know, putting off uh, routine screenings and other tests and other uh, health concerns are on the rise, mental health certainly as well. And so we know how fragile life is. We also know that the most responsible thing you can do, because you never know what's going to happen, is to not leave your family in a financial mess uh, if the worst were to happen to you. You don't want to leave your spouse or your kids or whoever else with a major financial burden. So it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is actually really affordable. So why not pay a little bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking yourself this question, you really want to take a look at ladder insurance. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. You just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out instantly if you're approved. There are no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. And since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to cross it off your list. So lock in your best rate today. Get your family covered with Ladder. Go to ladderlife.com slash martini. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash martini. Ladderlife.com slash martini. Well, Jim, speaking of life, uh, we are mourning the loss of a Capitol Hill police officer. Uh, Brian Sicknick is his name. Uh, he was uh, killed as a result of physical encounters with the rioters on Wednesday. Some reports suggest he was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. It appears that there will be more information coming out. 42 years old. I also saw this morning that I think there are 56 total Capitol police officers injured. Uh, so the idea that all of them just sat there and waved everybody through the door is certainly not uh, being borne out by the facts. But there are concerns about lack of preparedness and what exactly did happen there. Why weren't uh, more officers in place? Why did everything play out the way it did? Why was it so easy for these people to get into the Capitol? Some of the things we've heard is that, well, they got those bomb threats for, at the RNC and the DNC. And so they had to uh, send personnel there. Uh, but there are some consequences for the people at the very top here. U.S. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund is resigning amid criticism over an apparent lack of preparedness. Uh, Nancy Pelosi had called for that. She also says the House Sergeant-at-Arms is submitting his resignation. And Michael Stenger, the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms and doorkeeper, has resigned as well, according to Mitch McConnell. And Chuck Schumer had said a day or two ago that he was going to fire Stenger if he wasn't already gone by the time he comes majority leader. So. Jim, I mean, so many things here. Uh, the Capitol Police Force is reeling from everything they went through, the loss of a fellow officer. Uh, now there's going to be a major change at the top. And there are still all these unanswered questions, including the, the shooting of Ashley Bobbitt. So uh, a lot of things to be answered here and uh, a lot of head scratching still going on. 
You know, earlier today, Greg, somebody had uh, responded to something I'd written critical of the president, and he said, uh, I can't believe you'd kick a man when he's down. And I don't really find that all that compelling. But in, in the assessment of the U.S. Capitol Police, after a day in which 50-some members of their uh, team and their, their forces have been injured, where one of them passed away, the report that was seen in the New York Times from unidentified law enforcement of, uh, sources was that this officer had been hit with a fire extinguisher and that that had caused him, I assume, some sort of head injury. He went back to his post, or I guess the uh, central command, the location of the uh, Capitol Police, and later collapsed, and you know his, his injuries were not immediately visible, um, and he succumbed to them. You know, I don't have... It's interesting. There's one video that's floating around that allegedly shows the police opening a gate. Now, the person who took that video, I went back and I checked, he did an interview with Newsweek, um, and that person who took the video said that, well, there was like, you know, a handful of cops against like a thousand or several thousand people coming towards them. That basically opening that gate was, you know, a strategic retreat. They realized that there was no, eventually the gates was going to get knocked down by the mass of people coming through and pressing against it. They retreated back to a building to a better and more secure position. I'm not qualified to determine whether that was the right call in that situation or not. I, I think I, we can all recognize, though, that these police in this sort of situation, they don't have a lot of good options. That, you know, if, if there's you know, a handful, a half dozen of you, a dozen, and you've got a thousand people or more than a thousand people coming your way, and they're all intending on with you know, mayhem on their minds that you know, determined to get past you. No, those gates are not going to stay up very long. Um, the other thing that's just baffling about this is how much people are convinced the Capitol Police didn't do their jobs when, in fact, they had an enormous job in front of them. Like, like there's, a, there's a gap between not doing your jobs and not being able to do your jobs well enough in extremely difficult circumstances. And, and you know, maybe a review will show that they made significant tactical errors. Um, the report that the... Uh, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser did not, you know, turn down additional uh, National Guard forces and things like that is, you know, suggests that there's not just a U.S. Capitol Police support. Um, Greg, at this point, like, I, it's entirely possible the Capitol Police made major errors, but it's starting to feel like they were, they're turning into a scapegoat for a whole bunch of bad decisions uh, that, that kind of climaxed on, you know, the middle of the afternoon on Wednesday. There will be a full investigation of this. I'm sure congressional committees will take a look at this, the police force itself, maybe an independent commission. Uh, I mean, we've seen a lot of uh, tweets, I'm sure you have, Jim, about we spend $750 billion a year on defense, yet a few people dressed like barbarians got into the Capitol. And so, yeah, they did. Uh, so the answers have to happen here. What was the protocols in place? What was the manpower decision heading into that day? And there, there probably will be additional consequences in addition to the folks at the top already, already uh, losing their jobs. Hey guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations. And if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. But of course, the worst thing you can do is pour gasoline on a fire that's already blazing here. And after a 
pretty solid statement, like you mentioned yesterday, Jim. On Wednesday, uh, President-elect Biden uh, coming out yesterday and talking about the double standard in justice. Uh, then Kamala Harris uh, really uh, made that claim. Uh, Biden talking about how he got a, a tweet or a text from his granddaughter at college. She sent him a picture of uh, police and riot gear in front of the Lincoln Memorial during the, the BLM riots from the middle of last year. And then uh, contrasting that with what happened on Wednesday and Kamala Harris saying there's a major double standard as well. Here's a couple of their quick comments back to back from Thursday. No one can tell me that if had been a group of Black Lives Matter protesting yesterday, there wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been treated very, very differently than the mob of thugs that stormed the Capitol. We witnessed two systems of justice when we saw one that let extremists storm the United States Capitol and another that released tear gas on peaceful protesters last summer. The American people have expressed brightly outrage. We know this is unacceptable. We know we should be better than this. So, Jim, we don't know for sure. Uh, My initial reaction was a whole lot of people got away with a whole lot of destruction during those Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots. Uh, It seemed like a lot of people uh, didn't get arrested at all. And it seemed like in Portland, for example, there was a constant revolving door of people getting arrested, but not ultimately charged. So it seems like there's been a lot of uh, lax enforcement uh, across the board here. But uh, how do you see it? There's room to criticize the Capitol Police. It feels a little premature. Um, and the, the statement from Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, quickly turning into the, my least favorite person in the incoming administration, to say, you know, let extremists storm the United States Capitol. Look, no, that's not what the police did. That's not justified by that one video. But where she says the other one released tear gas on a peaceful protesters. In the corner yesterday, I went through and I found no less than five videos, different ones, of the U.S. Capitol Police using tear gas. Uh, I saw no less than five videos of police using flashbangs. I saw at least two videos of police using pepper spray against protesters. Uh, Oh, by the way, there are also two videos of protesters shooting pepper spray back at the Capitol Police. And at least two videos of the police pushing the protesters back with their nightsticks. Um, Other cases like using like the giant riot shields and things like that. The fact the police also shot and killed a woman really ought to dispel the notion that the Capitol Police were too hesitant to use force to protect lawmakers, to deter this angry mob. Uh, you know, it, it, it struck me as really an illegitimate, but, you know, painting of too broad a brush of a police force that probably had one of the toughest days in its history. And there was just, let, let's face it, drastically undermanned for the situation. And maybe they were unprepared. Maybe they needed to do more intelligence. It's not like, and preparation, it's not like the president was quiet about his desire to hold a big rally on January 6th on the mall. It sounds like they did not expect that crowd to come towards them. And maybe that was a unforgivable lack of foresight on their part. But in this case, it just, it's, we got into this mess because of politicians demagoguing bad situations. As you said, pouring gasoline on a fire, taking a tense situation and making it worse. And I think that's exactly what Kamala Harris did here. And I also think you know, Biden's comment is in this vein. I guess I'm reaching that point where I just kind of tune out what Biden says because, you know, grandpa gets confused. Um, but that's, you know, we, we, this, this really should be this giant wake-up call 
for everybody to be a little more careful about what they say and how uh, quick they can be to demonize, to villainize. And it feels like Kamala Harris is on autopilot. It feels like she hasn't changed any of her rhetoric uh, from during the campaign or earlier. And I just think, look, she's going to be vice president in about two weeks. It's like, you're not running against the man. You are the man. The responsibility is yours. You're in charge of all of these law enforcement forces. So stop tearing down that department, that, that system of justice that, oh, by the way, you spent almost your entire career in and start standing, you know, start saying, being more careful in your criticism, more precise, more specific, because I don't think the entire U.S. Capitol Police deserves to be uh, portrayed as lax or not trying yesterday or earlier this week. And uh, deeply frustrating that Kamala Harris chose to go this way. Yes. And I would say uh, that Merrick Garland, the Biden choice for attorney general, which is news that got thoroughly buried on Wednesday, is we're never going to be in love with uh, a major cabinet official choice from Joe Biden. But given that he was also considering Sally Yates and Andrew Cuomo um, and folks like Andy McCarthy, uh, your colleague at National Review, I actually think pretty well of, of Garland as a person. It could have been a lot worse. So that might ultimately be a good thing or at least as good as it could be in this administration. Yeah. I mean, you know, people forget Merrick Garland was the prosecutor against Timothy McVeigh, I believe. I mean, this is a, he had a long distinguished career as a prosecutor and prosecutors tend to be, you know, fairly law and order and things like that. So he's, he's, he's capable, he's experienced, he's got the right kind of resume for the job. Um, some conservatives may even see it as something of a victory that you get him off the bench with a lifetime appointment uh, and put him into a job where he's probably not going to serve more than four years. But uh, look, yeah, you're right that, you know, compared to Sally Yates, compared to a bunch of other uh, much more partisan figures, Merrick Garland is probably going to be fine. Well, certainly better than it could have been, which is about as good as we can hope for at this point. Of course, Jim, uh, not getting a lot of attention right now, but there are six NFL playoff games this weekend, including the mighty, mighty NFC seventh seed Chicago Bears, who are headed down to New Orleans uh, to play the second-seeded Saints on Sunday afternoon. If you were with us on Monday, you know how optimistic I am about this game. <laughs> not very, but hey, you can't win if you're not in it. So uh, hopefully America can unite around the Bears this weekend. What do you think? Greg, what are playoffs? <laughs> I thought the season ended in week 16 and everybody just went home and that's, you know, and then everybody got excited about the draft. Isn't that how football works, Greg? No, good luck to the Bears. I, you know, I'm, sure, I'm sure our New Orleans area listeners won't be agreeing, but uh, you deserve some joy, Greg. Someone, one, someone on this podcast deserves some joy, so might as well get some to you. There's a good chance in future weeks of these playoffs I'll be cheering for the Saints. So uh, this is not an anti-Saints uh, commentary at all. But uh, <laughs> there, there are other teams you hate more. So. <laughs> That's absolutely right. So, uh, you know, Jim, it just strikes me. We celebrated our 10-year anniversary of this podcast uh, late last year. That would have been 2010. And in 2010, the Bears and the Jets both made their conference championship games and since then, <laughs> the Bears have had a double doink to lose a playoff game a couple years ago, and now we'll see what happens on Sunday. But it's, uh, it's been a long decade on the NFL front for us, hasn't it? Long stretch, long stretch. Yeah, we can just skip over the 2010. So. Well, let's hope we have a little more sanity uh, come Monday. I'm not optimistic about that either, but we'll see. Jim, have a good weekend. See you then. See you Monday, Greg. 
Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about Ladder Insurance. You can find more at ladderlife.com slash martini. Also, subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Uh, we appreciate very much your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. You can also get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great weekend and join us on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.